Uh, I want to thank whoever's Bible this is. It was, it was really big on the back. I was looking for a big Bible, so I'm a real man of the word. Usually the word's on my phone. Um, really, it's just a carrier for all these papers that I um, brought up with me uh, in large print, so I don't waste your time trying to figure out where I'm at. Um, but I'm excited. Let's, let's pray a minute. I think we, we could benefit from some of the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you, God, that, that you're smiling down on us. But not even down, God, you're here with us. In fact, it's in you that we live and move and have our being. We thank you, God, that we are one with you. You are our life. You are the vine that we're tapped into. And because of that, God, we bear good fruit. And we thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit, who is our guide, our comforter, our, our um, revelator. We thank you, God, that, that you explain and help us understand your word so that we can understand you. Because really what we're trying to do, God, is to know you, to know you better, to not set you on yourself and make you a, a ceremony or a duty or a thing we have to check off every week, but a person that we get to know deeper and deeper as life goes on. And we want to be like Paul, who even at the end of his day said, I want to know him more. God, we, we want to know you more. We want to press into the fullness of all that you are. Pray, God, that you would guide our time, that you would guide the, um, the flow of what's going on. Let me speak, God, from your heart and not just from my pages, because my pages could be off in the moment, but your word is fresh. And so we just tap into the well of your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, I would like to try to, uh, without preaching the same stuff that I preached before, but have you guys noticed a theme, like every now and then we talk about grace? Um, <laughs> um, or if we, if we backpedal a little bit, we talk about the other two uh, themes that have become really pillars of our church. In fact, the last time I spoke, I, I referenced the three pillars, the things that God has really emphasized to us over the, over the past few years. Um, and, and because there are still some that haven't, haven't heard about them. I, without being repetitive, uh, I do want to repeat. <laughs> so it's not repetition for repetition's sake. It's not that I can't find anything else to talk about. But there's something I want to build on. Okay, so to rewind, let me talk about what, we've, what, we've, what our journey has been. Our, um, the first thing God really began to highlight to us uh, that became really a, a core thing for us is, is the kingdom. Um, in, um, you know, in Matthew 6, Jesus, uh, Jesus prayed, you know, your, thy kingdom come, your, thy will be done. I have to use King James every now and then. It's hard to exercise that out. Um, that's all right. Um, but the, the thing is that when Jesus came, he, he came preaching the kingdom of God is here. But before him in Matthew 3, the, uh, John the Baptist came. And what does it say? He came preaching the kingdom of God is here. And then when Jesus came in Matthew 4, he began to preach, the kingdom is at hand. Um, you know, in fact, Matthew 9, Jesus went uh, to all the towns and villages teaching their synagogues. I'm going to, let's do this. I'm going to reference some scriptures, um, some scripture um, locations, and um, we can actually go to the podcast or the video if you want to, if you can't write them down fast enough. Because I want to get through this fast enough to begin building on the new stuff. Is that okay? All right. Matthew 9.35, it says, Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. 
That's what he was preaching. That was the thing they were talking about. And it also says he was healing every disease and every sickness. And then verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. There's two things I'm hearing is the, the kingdom and his compassion. There's the what he's talking about and the why he's talking about it. Okay. Because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, that's, that's the end of chapter 9. Going on into chapter 10, it says he summoned his 12 disciples. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and heal every disease. And he sent them out. And then in verse 7 down there, in 10, uh, Matthew 10, 7, it says, as you go preach, as you go preach saying, guess what? The kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. And then he says, interesting thing, freely you've received, freely give. So we got John the Baptist talking about the kingdom. Jesus, when he launches his ministry, is talking about the kingdom. And then he sends his disciples out and says, go talk about the kingdom. You know, the stuff that we've told you about, the stuff we've invested in you, give that away. Talk about that. So... What is this thing about the kingdom? Um, we've seen some kingdom stuff. Now, what, what that means is when the, king is in his, when the king is in a realm, his will, his way has been imposed. You know, so like, for example, when Jesus said in the, in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. We've seen heaven come down in a sense. We've seen heaven impact our lives. We've seen things that are of the kingdom of God that are not normally of this world. Things like we've seen, for example, lives transformed. We've seen bodies healed. We've seen, we've actually seen one body raised from the dead. Um, it's worth repeating. Um, that one, you know, hey, you don't see that every day. Uh, we ought to. It'd be fun. I wouldn't mind that. There are some places where it's more common, like Mozambique with Heidi Baker and those guys, um, when they don't have that layer of Western unbelief to scrape off. But um, we had an associate pastor here, Lonnie Honeycutt, and he had stage four esophagolaryngeal cancer, and he died at Mobile Infirmary, kaput, dead, you know. Um, but there were some, some uh, members of the church that were milling around in the courtyard and praying, and they were saying, God, just send him back. Um, and a couple hours later, they got word, hey, Lonnie's alive. Lonnie's fine. And, and the cool thing is, yeah, David, I love that it's, it's the... You know, it's the folklore of the church. You know, Lonnie died, Dave says. Lonnie died, but then he got better. <laughs> you know, he was raised from the dead. The cancer was cured. The radiation burns from the treatment was cured. He walked out of there a whole man. He walked in di dying and died, and then he came out living and full of life. That's pretty cool. I would say the kingdom of God impacted right there. All right, so that's pillar number one, the kingdom. Pillar number two, God began to, re God began to emphasize um, that if he's our father, because you know, Jesus said to pray, what, our father? If he's our father and we're saying that, who does that make us? Who, say, who calls somebody father? A son. So if he's our father, we're a son. We have to think about what does that mean? If we're a son of the most high God, if we're a son of the Father, the Heavenly Father that loved us enough to send His Son to die for us and to rescue us out of our sin, to transform us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, um, what does that do to us? Um, the example, let me be real quick about this. The example that we like is looking at um, what was provided, you know, because being a son, it's our identity. You know, He's dependable, we trust Him. 
But in Matthew 4, Jesus, uh, Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan. Uh, as he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him as the dove. The Father spoke from above, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. In other words, God the Father bragged to anybody that had ears, This guy is my Son, and I really love him. I'm really pleased with him. And then straight away, the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness to be tempted. And so the first thing the devil said is, If you are the Son of God, this is Matthew 4, 3, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. In essence, he was questioning his identity. Prove you're the son of God, because um, I know you're hungry. Make yourself some food. And, of course, Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You know, Jesus knew he could trust his father God for, for provision. He didn't have to prove anything. Jesus didn't have to make bread at that point. He didn't have to, like, drag out a miracle and say, I need some bread. Boom. This is not keto. I have to have something to eat. He was waiting on God to provide for him. Trusted God, the Father, for his provision. How many of your kids, if you're a father, how many of your kids get worried about, you know, I'm not sure dad's going to feed me. I better go find something, you know? A child trusts his father to provide for him. By the way, an orphan doesn't. An orphan doesn't know who's going to provide for him. That's why a lot of times orphans, when they get, when they get around food, they'll, like, stick an extra roll in their pocket so they'll have something to eat later just in case there's not food because they're out of control there. They can't, they can't manage that. All right, the second temptation, this is Matthew 4, 6. The devil says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Notice he keeps challenging his identity. If you're the son of God, you know, you say you're the son of God, but in the second temptation, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he shall give his angels charge over you. Uh, it's as if to say, if God claims you as his son. Now, the first one says, you say you're the son of God, prove it. The second one says, you say you're the son of God, let's see if he agrees with that. Uh, throw yourself down. Um, he'll catch you, just prove it. And, of course, Jesus' response was, it's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus knew he could trust his father for protection. He didn't have to prove anything. He could trust his father to take care of him. And then, finally, uh, the third temptation, uh, Satan promised to give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if he would only worship him. Um, but Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and in him, and in him only shall you serve. Jesus was not worried about his authority. He knew he could trust God for his promotion at the proper time and in the proper way. And, and that proper time came. If you look at Matthew 28, 18, he said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. That ended up being the result, but he did it God's way according to God's plan to redeem all of mankind that way instead of taking the shortcut. God's way is the best way. Don't get nervous about God's timing. It's God's timing. It's not yours. If God has said this thing's going to come to pass, don't do an Abraham and go find a different way to get a son. Okay? Let God manifest his route to the thing he promised. All right? Now, that's sunshine. Now, what does it do for us? As far as provision goes, Matthew 6, 25 says, Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What you're going to eat or what you drink or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food or the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into the barns. But your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a cubit to your span of life? What's a cubit? Did we answer that last time? Yeah, it's, uh, okay, this much? David says it's this much. That's a cubit. How do you measure time in the length of an arm? I, I don't know that. All right, provision, okay? Number two for us. Uh, oh, okay. That sounds like a Star Trek thing. All right. 
the space-time continuum of the supernatural of the Holy Spirit of Guadalupe. All right, number two, promotion. What does promotion look like for us? Luke, Luke 14, 7, he said, he, he told a parable to those that were invited. Luke 14, 7, he told a parable, Jesus, to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for them. Now, this is a banquet, and he's looking around trying to figure out, look at how these guys are choosing where to sit. So he told a parable. He said, verse 8, when you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished person then you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come to you and say, hey, uh, could you give your place to this guy? And then in humiliation, you'll proceed to take the lowest place. Verse 10, but when you're invited, go and recline at the low place so that when the one who invited you comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up higher. And you'll, then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Leave promotion to God. Don't try to make yourself famous before your time. Being famous, by the way, is a pretty cheap goal. There's better things to do than be famous. We've seen a lot of famous people that are absolute losers. Very sad. <laughs> All right. Number three, protection. Um, just a, a quick one. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear, hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me, and he's greater than all. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. So provision, promotion, protection. Um, and then a couple, then a couple more that, the, that, I, that I came up with. Uh, I wasn't looking for coming up with them, but, but the Holy Spirit getting alliteration going on. God is also giving us affection, affirmation, and attention. Affection, John 31, 3, I've loved you with an everlasting love, and I've drawn you with my loving kindness. Ephesians 5, 1 says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God has affection toward us. Yes. I mean, he really likes us. If you have kids, especially when they're little and haven't really made you rile up, when you have a little child, especially, older child, teenagers... Young adults, sometimes they can test your, not, none of mine, none, none of my kids, no. But, yeah, yeah, thumbs up, Gabe, yeah. Um, <laughs> he did that. Um, but the normal instinct of a parent is to have affection towards their children, to love them, to, to protect them, to hold them. i got to stop doing that. Um, that's affection. Um, affirmation. You know, God spoke over Jesus in Matthew 3.16. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God affirms to us this way in Romans 8.16. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. We've got this knower on the inside of us. It's, yeah, I'm plugged in. God's my father. We're good. Number six, attention. Um, Matthew 10.29 says... Um, Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent? But even the hairs, even the hairs on your head have all been counted. Well, that didn't take long. <laughs> so don't be afraid, therefore. You're worth more than sparrows. You know, the sign, his, his eye is on the sparrow. I'm not going to sing it, dear Lord. But that principle is the same. If God's watching sparrows, dude, how much more is he watching you? Okay, so provision, promotion, protection, affection, affirmation, attention. Hey, we doubled it up. Now look, this is normal. This is just normal for a good father to give to his children. 
Okay? That's, that's the way life is with us that are sons. That was two. Ah, ah, ah. Number three, grace. Where's, where's Buddy? He would get that. All the kids have left. All my kid jumps still. Okay. Number three, grace. Uh, Ephesians 2.8. This is the third pillar of our church. Something's been really working in, in us and making our life so good. Um, grace. Uh, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. Um, you know, and we know the scripture, and not of itself is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, but it's by grace that we've been saved, his goodness. Um, John 1.14, um, we love this one. This is a good theme verse for, the, for grace. And it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Listen, full of grace and truth. Um, we can sip across verse 15. It's not relevant, but it says 16. And of his fullness... Okay, he says he's full of grace and truth, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we're a new creation and changed from the inside out. The life of God inside of us produces fruits of righteousness in our life. Um, Hebrews 10.11 kind of explains that. Um, it says... Every priest stands day by day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice, just one, for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, this is my covenant, I will make with them in those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. So we went away from the Ten Commandments and all the 600 additional explanations of these Ten Commandments that they built up in the Hebrew system to God's writing his law on our hearts. We're led by our hearts. Um, we're kind of getting the same result at the law of the life. If the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death, this law is being led by the spirit and not led by commandments written in stone. Um, it's real time. It can be, there could be different things we're led to do that aren't even written down anywhere else. And there are some things that have been written down that don't matter. Um, but, but the thing about it is if, we're, if we've got the spirit of God leading our life, the Ten Commandments become... Pastor Mark used to say the Ten Commandments become the Ten Descriptions. You know, if the Spirit of God is alive in you, if you're led by the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, you won't kill. In fact, that's what it says, you shall not kill. You're right, I will, I shall not kill anybody. I shall not steal. You know, that's, that's the byproduct of this life that we now have. So it's from the inside out. The performance is coming from a place inside of us. The behavior, the, the doing the right stuff, it's coming from inside of us. It's a natural byproduct of the life of God in us. It's not keep track of these things or you're going to die. It's going the wrong direction there. The right direction is he's in us. We've been baptized into a new life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Hey, look, the new has come. This new thing called life in Christ Jesus is bringing out of us a life of love. In fact, let me see if that's the next thing. Ah, it is. 
Speaking of bonus rounds, <laughs> all right, we're now up to six, um, six things for um, sonship. Um, and now we've got a fourth pillar. Um, this is what I call the icing on the cake. It's the extra credit. It's the, it's the special sauce. It's the glue that holds us all together. It's love. None of this works without love. Love is what motivated God to send his son in the first place. And love is the great commandment. Matthew 22, 36. Uh, they said, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? You know, they're looking for one of the 10 or the 600. What, which one of those is the most important? And he said, uh, well, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, remember earlier he said, freely you receive, now freely give. It's not just a one-way street. Me and God, we're good. It's me and God, we're good. And because of that, me and the fellows around me, me and the people around me, we're going to be good. The life of God, the love of God that's in me is going to spill over and impact their life. And they're going to get to meet my father. And they might get adopted by my father too. That's a pretty neat trick. So we're multiplying. Okay? Bugs Bunny reference. Um, so, but then verse 40, this is Matthew 22, 40. Jesus says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Like we were just saying, if this is what's going on in our heart, if we're loving God, um, the byproduct of all this is we're going to do all that other stuff. We're going to keep the law. We're, well, not the Jewish law, but we are going to walk in righteousness. We're going to please the Father. Our goal now is not to please men and the rules they've set up. Our goal is to please the Father. Jesus said, my will is to do the will of him who sent me. Okay? He was trying to please his Father. He was always referencing his Father, always listening to his Father, always watching his Father. So if we, um, if we look in John uh, 5.19, Jesus said... Um, most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all the things he himself does. And he'll show him greater works than these that you may marvel. If you have children, have you ever noticed that your kids watch you and they want to do stuff like you do? Have you ever noticed as they grow, they start acting some of the ways you act? I hope that's a good thing. For most of us. Um, I had a great father. I still have a great father. There's my father. Wave. Um, he pulled a sneaky. He pulled a sneaky and said he couldn't come today. And so then he came anyway. And so now there's things I might say later that are going to make me cry because he's here. And that's not fair. I just want you to know that's cheating. Um, too bad. But nobody's ever cried here before. So... <laughs> I think it's a rule. It's like the crying chair. If we sit here, we're going to cry. Um, but anyway, um, getting back to Matthew 10, 10, 8, when he sent out the, the disciples, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely be received, freely give. Um, Pastor Justin likes to say our, our job is our, our church, our assignment is we are a R&D church. We receive and distribute. We are, we are distribution center for the love of God, the presence of God, the life of God. That's the stuff we do. We have more important things to do there than to pursue other, I don't want to get into other things we shouldn't do. This is what we should be doing. The mission of the body, the mission of any living body 
is to, is to, to live and reproduce. Okay? Yes. Speaking of the family of seven or nine, what is it? <laughs> I don't know, there's, there's, there's something on row three about growth. There's just growth right there. Um, um, anyway, all God, as God's sons, born again, being made by the Holy Spirit into his likeness and nature, his life bearing his fruit in us. So you talk about Galatians 5, the fruit, the impact it has on our personality, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I've spoken before. I used to look at the fruit of the Spirit as something to measure to see if I'm really full of the Spirit or not. And God flipped it on me and said, the, more, the, the closer you are to the Spirit of God, the more of Him that impacts your life, this is what's going to pop out. Amen. So we've, we've said, we've, said fruit, we've got a t-shirt even that says, hashtag, that's cool, hashtag fruit happens. Like, how do you do it? Like that. Fruit just, fruit just, fruit happens when there's a healthy vine. When you're grafted into the vine, you bear fruit. That's just life. That's what happens. Um, we become more generous, and we want to share what we've been given. Good news, God says we've been given a spirit of adoption. That doesn't, that doesn't just mean that we've been adopted, like his spirit has confirmed that we've adopted. We go out, we want to adopt people. We want them to be adopted. You know, so every time I run into somebody, it's not like I'm trying to get a notch in my belt or I'm trying to keep my scorecard or my salvations or my witness checklist. My motivation is not from an external measure. My motivation is, oh, your life has got pain in it, and I know an answer. Amen. You know, and so there's a natural tendency for us to say, bless your heart. Let me just scoop you up and take you home to meet my father. You know, we do that in real life. My kids get annoyed sometimes. I'll bring somebody home from work out of the blues, like, hey, let's go have dinner at my house. And they're like, who's this guy? <laughs> it's just somebody that, you know, God highlighted that we want to love, and maybe they're only for a season, and maybe they disappear and go across the bay. But, <laughs> okay, I'm going to move on. <laughs> All right. Golly, it's already a quarter till. And I've been talking fast, haven't I, honey? All right, let's look. Let's actually look at this one. No, let's don't. You can find it. I don't want to wait for you to turn it. Matthew chapter 18, um, the parable of the, of the two servants. Peter came to him. This is verse 21, Matthew 18, 21. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? That actually sounded pretty generous, didn't it? Jesus said, I, I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said to him, but 70 times seven, which everybody that watches the video tells knows he is. Four. Right. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Um, for this, okay, verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents, which apparently is like $100,000, was brought before him. Since he had no way to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. Now, that's the way we used to be. I mean, we were in debt. There was no way we could pay it off. We were guilty. We were going to jail. It was over. Um, verse 26. At this, the slave fell down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. And then verse 27, amazingly, then the master of that slave had compassion. 
It's amazing what compassion can do. The master of that slave had compassion, released him, forgave him the loan. Now that's a beautiful story so far. Verse 28, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, I, I, I don't know how many eyes are in the end of this. That's 10 bucks, about 10 bucks. So you got a guy that owed $100,000, finds a guy that owes him 10 bucks. Grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay me what you owe. And at this, his fellow slave fell down and began begging, deja vu, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. On the contrary, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. And when the other slaves saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after, after he had summoned him, the master said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Verse 33, Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? Receive, distribute. And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So my heavenly father will also do to each of you if he does not forgive his brother from his heart. Okay, well, the point being, <laughs> if you do the right stuff, this part doesn't happen. That last verse, boy, I'm glad. Uh, yeah. So, so getting back, that all that we've received, you know, freely you receive, freely give. All that we've received, all this understanding, all this grace, all this love, we are, we're just a pipeline. I've heard the, the old uh, metaphor, well, you know, a pipe, gets, a pipe full of water gets wet, you know. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not just a pipe. I'm like, have you seen those internet games where they have the cups and they spill over and he's like, which one gets filled up first? And I'm like, I'm the one that gets filled up first and spilling over. And we, but that's what we're going to be doing. We get filled. We talked about fullness last week. Getting back to uh, John 1.14. Of his fullness, you know, we've received of his fullness. So we want to be filled with the spirit of God, filled with his love, filled with his life, filled with his power. And it sloshes over and it spills. If you water a plant and there's a plant next to it and you fill it up and the water spills over I'm running out of good metaphors. We'll start with that one. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> but um, with regards to the great commandment, 1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God, and yet he hates his brother, he's a liar. The person who does not love his brother he has seen cannot love the God that he has not seen. You know, so that's just getting back to that. All right, so I've got maybe 15 minutes left. So how does this extend to our people, our church, our family? Um, we, as sons should, we as sons should model the heart of our father, not relating through the law. We don't relate to one another through the law, through the expectations and our preconceived notions of how they should behave. We work through love. Listen, relationship takes more effort than rulership. But that's the heart of God. And it's the blessing of this life that we have together. Um, 1 Peter 2.10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. You know. Um, so uh, let, me, let me meddle a little bit. The way we relate, um, we, we know in Ephesians 5 it talks about 
husbands and wives and how they relate, like, you know, wives, blah, 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 blah. I won't go there. But being Father's Day, by the way, I'm speaking on Father's Day only because pastor wanted to move the schedule and bump a week, and I just wound up. It's not like, they, who's a father that can speak on Father's Day? This was an accident, so, you know, if you think, couldn't they find a better father to speak today? You know, I'm, I'm sorry, it's just, um, but anyway, but Ephesians 5 says, husbands love your wives. You know, the wives have been instructed something to do, you know, wives submit to your husbands and so forth, but it says, husbands love your wives for crying out loud. See her as a treasure, not a subordinate. Um, 1 Peter 3, 7 says that we're co-heirs in the grace of life. Um, the message says, be good husbands to your wives, honor them, delight in them. Um, I, it goes on and says, um, as women, they lack some of your advantages, but in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. Treat your wives then as equals so your prayers don't run aground or aren't hindered. Um, Anyway, getting back to Ephesians 6, talking about children. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Or in the message, it says, Fathers, don't exasperate your kids by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. How many of you ever watched the Andy Griffith show? How many of you know the theme song? Okay, there's a point. Okay, think of that. The sheriff, that's interesting, the sheriff is walking his son down to the fishing hole. He's spending time with his little kid, his son. And I tell you, I saw something the other day that I've seen for decades, but I saw something that grabbed me, and I swear I choked up. I almost cried. Uh, there was a moment where he grabbed his son's hand. I mean, I don't know why it's so important, but you know, they're walking along, and he grabbed his hand. You know, there's, there's this moment of touch. There's this moment of affection. One thing I love about this church is we're a very huggy church. You know, we let people into our space. Don't do that. We need like a dog collar. You touch it. <laughs> Mike, put that on our to-do list. Get a shock collar for the... You know. <laughs> um, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Exasperating your children. Um, especially today being a father's... I've got, I've got some father failures that I've learned from. God's taught me. Have you ever learned something by, yeah, don't do it that way, touching a hot stove? Um, there was a, I need to do a drink real quick. There's nothing more stiff up here. That can... There was a, it's not that bad of a story, <laughs> but you'll be the judge of that. Um, years ago, we used to have a pool at our house, and um, there was a, and I wasn't as good a, God bless firstborn children. Any firstborn kids in here? There's a lot of learning that goes on at their expense. Um, we had a swimming pool, and it was during the summer, and I was working, and my kids were at home. And my oldest child, Daniel, um, I, I said, Daniel, keep an eye on the water level in the pool because we're running the pump. To, to run the chlorine through the pump. And if the water level gets below where the pickup gets, uh, the pump will dry out and it could ruin the pump and the bill could be like hundreds of dollars. I just made it like this real big 
if you don't watch the water level, it's going to ruin the pump, and it's going to be a bad thing. And he's 10 years old, maybe 11. I came home one day, and the water level was below the pickup point. And I was like, oh, no, he didn't do what I told him to do. You know, this was serious, so I got him, and we went in the room, and we sat down on the bed, and I brought his wife in, and brought my wife in as a witness. <laughs> I, brought, I brought my wife in. I brought my wife in as a witness. And so I'm sitting on the bed, because in my mind, and men can be unfeeling sometimes. Sometimes. Men can be logical about things and not feel. But there's a moment where I felt. I was sitting on the bed, and I'm saying, I told you to keep an eye on the water. It's like the thing. You had one thing to do. It wasn't really that he only had one thing to do. But, but I thought I could just speak this out, and it would be obeyed. It would be the thing that would happen. This is a 10-year-old kid. Why am, I leaving a, why am I leaving a multi-hundred-dollar problem in the hands of a 10-year-old kid? But I set him on the bed, and we're talking. I said, son, you know, I told you you shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, let the pool level go down, and you did. And, you know, it's a really big problem because, you know, we could ruin the pump, and it would be expensive. And, and, I just, and as I was talking to him, I saw on his face his countenance changed, and it was like he was just overwhelmed with, with guilt and with shame. And I could just see him getting crushed. And he's a 10-year-old, and I'm crushing him with this problem that I never should have invested in him anyway. And I'd stopped in my tracks, and I was just, I was horrified. At, I was look, like having an out-of-body experience, seeing myself being this ogre that I shouldn't be. I should be a loving father. And, uh, you know, when you, when you realize how, how something is way off like that, and I, I just, I had to stop, and I said, wait a minute. I'm sorry, son. It's not your fault. I should have never, I should have never asked you to keep up with this. It's a big deal. And, and please forgive me. You know? And, um, and, and his, he, his face went back to being, okay, we're okay. And I gave him a hug. And as far as he was concerned, okay, well, we're all right. But I was cut to the quick. And I've had flashbacks of that for the rest of my life as a marker to say, I don't want to crush my kid's spirit over something that's not his responsibility to carry. And if, if there's anything a father can learn, you're not infallible. You know that, but sometimes you want them to think that you're infallible. But if you make a mistake, the best thing you can do to teach your children is to tell them when you made a mistake. You know, maybe that's what it means when it says, confess our sins one to another. It's not to say, here's the laundry list of all the terrible things I've done. <laughs> And it's not just, oh, my bad. It was like, I messed up. I did a horrible thing. The expectation of mercy needs to be there. I'm watching. <laughs> All right. The expectation. You don't want to put, the, that was a burden of the law is what was happening. That was the wrong heart that I put on him. Um, now, there's a benefit of being the youngest child. <laughs> By that time, and there's a middle child that's a wonderful blend of everything. But the benefit of being a youngest child is, you know, they say the first child gets, gets caught doing everything, and the middle child is like, he'll be all right. And the third child is like, what? Did you hear a noise? <laughs> Our youngest child, and I spoke with Lydia about today and what I was feeling, and, I, and she said, well, you know, there's a story. She said, do you remember? You know, Lydia can be very, very driven sometimes, and she gave me permission to share this story. Um, 
she was trying to take the ACT test. And you, I don't know if you knew this or not, but you can take it more than once. If you take it once and don't get the score you want, and you want to try again because you're really shooting for a scholarship, so she was going to take it again. And for some reason, the second time she was taking it, I think it was the second, she was feeling really stressed, like, I've got to get this score up. I really, you know, she was thinking about her future and all this kind of stuff, and she really wanted to. And so in a, in a moment of, let's say, a lack of wisdom, um, she's taking the test, and then when she went on to the next section for the next part of the test, she got finished with that a little earlier, and so she kind of flipped back and was checking off a couple more answers, which is against the rules. You could even say cheating. It's against the rules. And she got caught. And they took her paper away from her, and they sent her out of the room, and, and she was devastated. She's like, oh, my God, what's about to happen to me? Um, you know, now, in ordinary circumstances, worldly parents would be, how could you? You should be ashamed of yourself. Aren't you, don't you know you're messing with your future? If you don't get a scholarship, you're not going to get a scholarship. You're not going to go to school. You're going to be washing dishes the rest of your life. Anybody that washes dishes, God bless you. <laughs> you know, and so there's like this, this weight that came in on her, like, I screwed up. And, um, and so I went to pick her up at the end of the test. And she was standing outside, and you could tell she was just really disturbed. And, and she told me what had happened. And I said, well, you know, that's 40 bucks down the drain. You know you're not supposed to do that, right? So we'll just have to take it again. And I honestly didn't really make a big deal out of it. And it's not that I was all of a sudden that smart, but some of the pain I suffered at the hands of weighing down on Daniel, I learned to be a little more light with my kids. <laughs> and, so, and so with her... Um, she told me, only this week, I never knew. She says, when you responded to my failure in that way, that's the day that God showed me what grace was. I had no idea. The next day was Sunday. Pastor Mark preached this wonderful sermon about God and forgiveness and grace and stuff. She said, it just, God just pressed it home to me what grace was about. In the midst of my failure, he didn't make this mountainous thing out of it. He said, you're going to be okay. That's taken care of. It's covered. And so she, didn't, she ended up doing well. She took it again. She did well. She got scholarships. She's, she's doing fine. She's in Spain. I miss her. Hi, honey. I hope you're watching. But perfect love cast out all fear. You know? Um, so let me summarize. Freely you've received, freely give. This mercy, this love, this... This walking in the sunshine now, you know, First Peter 2 says you're, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. It says in some, that you can show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You can describe and brag on the guy that pulled you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. And then it says... You know, once you were not a people, now you're the people of God. You're his sons and daughters. You, once you hadn't received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So I could talk longer, but I don't want to. I think you get the gist of what it sounds. So fathers, love your kids. Have a gentle heart. Fathers, husbands, love your wives. Wives, be patient with your husbands. <laughs> we're heirs together in this life. We're heirs, not errors. 
we, are, we inherit this eternal life together. That's what Jesus came. He said, I, I came that you might have abundant life, life to the full. Amen? Amen. Thanks. Um, okay. So do you want me to pray? Do you want to pray? I know. I'm, I'm praying. Oh, God. Well, I think you're supposed to stand when you pray. Isn't that the rule? Yeah, I come on. Unless you're pregnant, then you don't have to stand. It's okay. That's yeah, not fair. <laughs> when it takes you five minutes to stand up, we can. We don't need to wait. Um, <laughs> all right, I love you guys. Um, I'm so thankful for the culture that we have here in this church. Amen. There's other churches that you can't share this kind of life, and. Um, and it's not a, an arrogance thing. I see the mercy of God. God is, we're kind of the, we've joked about it, we're the island of misfit toys. God's dragged us in from everywhere, man, and he's like, here, let me do CPR on you and bring you back to life. <laughs> yeah, we got better. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father God, happy Father's Day. We thank you, God, that you've made us like you. And that's all we want to be is like you, God. And uh, so we thank you for this time to remember who you are and how good you are. And we just open ourselves up for your Holy Spirit to transform us more and more into your image. Uh, because that's a good way to live. We want to be like you. Um, bless us as we go. I pray, God, that your love would continue to linger in our hearts. Lord, give us patience and kindness. Let the fruit of your spirit work deeply in our lives. Lord, let us, let us not hold each other firmly to uh, expectations, but have mercy in our hearts, to have patience in our hearts, because God, you are so patient with us. You're mindful of our frame that we're just dust, but you've given us our new life. So we bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.